My name is Noelle McCarthy, and it is a pleasure to be here this morning with two New Zealanders who have had a wild ride this year. <laughs> when the COVID-19 pandemic made its first appearance, as our government, and indeed governments all over the world, found themselves having to make some historic decisions, big decisions in real time, decisions that affected the health and the well-being of the whole country. It was a time when we all saw and we all heard the value not only of good information, but of clear communication. And that's where our guests this morning come in. Dr. Susie Wiles is a microbiologist and associate professor at the University of Auckland. She's also a longtime advocate for demystifying science, often working together with media organizations, with animators, and with artists such as Toby Morris. Toby is an award-winning cartoonist, the creative director at the spin-off. His monthly series, Side Eye, features sequences that investigate deftly and humanely topical, political, and social issues. As COVID-19 spread, and as the lockdown loomed, Susie and Toby joined forces to make the science of COVID-19 and the pandemic not only clear and not only understandable, but also crucially accessible. The animations and illustrations created by Toby in collaboration with Susie and published on the spin-off have been shared in their hundreds of millions all over the world over the last few months. It's an extraordinary story and to talk about the how and the why of it and about being at the center of it for the first time together on the same <laughs> stage. Could you join me in welcoming please Toby and Susie. <laughs> Well, it's been a time, guys. Yeah, what a year. <laughs> can, we, um, can we start by going back? Because this is a new normal for all of us, this year of our Lord, 2020. But it wasn't always thus. So I wonder if either of you remember what life was like or what you were doing in, say, January or February of mm. last year. Oh. Of last year? <laughs> oh, that feels like a lifetime ago. This year? Oh, this yeah, year. This year. Oh, this year. Yeah. Um, I definitely, I remember, yeah, I don't know. It's, it really does seem like a, seem like a long, long time ago. <laughs> um, I had all sorts of plans of things that I was going to do with my comics for the year that, that, um, mm. that haven't panned out. And if you had told me that I was going to be here, sitting here right now, there's no way mm. that I would have believed you. It's, <laughs> impossible to, to predict really what's happened. Mm. Was it slightly different for you, Susie, as part of a scientific fraternity? Yeah, so I, um, as you say, I've kind of do, done science communication for a long time now, and um, I, uh, as somebody who's interested in infectious diseases, I keep an eye out mm. for um, outbreaks, potential pandemics, things like that. And so I remember really distinctly in January hearing about this unknown uh, mysterious pneumonia in China. Um, and actually, at the time, I was in the UK on holiday with my daughter. And so I remember seeing this thing going, Susie, no, put it down. Like, you know, don't, you're on holiday. Do not go and look at that thing. 
So um, I, I left it and I had a fantastic holiday with my daughter. Mm. Um, and we got back about mid-January and about two days later, my phone rang and that was the first journalist to say, can you talk to us about this pneumonia in China? I was like, oh yeah, that pneumonia in China. Um, so I did what I normally do, which was to go to the WHO's website to look at what these, they do these things called situation reports. So I was like, where are all the situation reports? Can I kind of get some information? Was looking at places around China. Mm. Um, and so my first interview was like a Sunday night, it was a quick radio, yep, there's a, a weird pneumonia, it's a moment it's a sort of watch and wait, and then I got a call like the next day saying, will you come on breakfast? And so I did my first breakfast interview, which was, yeah, it's a new pneumonia, not much known at the moment, doesn't look so bad. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, when there's no reports at the moment of healthcare workers being ill, that would be a, a big sign, and then... Two weeks later, I was back on going, whoa, gosh, that's escalated, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> and so then, and so from, well, I was, I was, my year, my plan for my year was that um, I was going to try and get more organized and a bit more productive at work. And I was, uh, I've got a lot of um, science to write up, some papers mm -hmm. to write. And so I'd, I'd reorganized all my meetings and all my days so that I could spend three days a week working at home on, on you know, doing some data analysis and various things and mm -hmm. writing papers. And within about two weeks, uh, basically those days at home were just spent trying to catch up with, what, keep up with what was going on with COVID and start. And then in late January, um, Toby Manhire approached me and said, would you write mm. something for the spin-off about this thing? And so that was when I started writing. And so from February, it mm. was just like, okay, this is, yeah, this is escalating fast and this is where I'm going to spend my time. Mm. And I'll, on this. I'll get on to the collaboration, but you know, if you work in media, in New Zealand and um, you are producing a show or doing anything that involves getting some sort of news or current affairs show to air, there's a few people that you know, if you call them, they will always pick up the phone. And it is a very short list, but you have <laughs> been on it and you've been on it for a very long time, mm -hmm. haven't you? Why? Because to me, science doesn't end with the publication of your paper like your scientific manuscript, right? Mm. Um, that's, yes, that's how we communicate to our peers what we've done, but it's not the only way we should communicate. Um, we should be, you know, it's important that everybody <laughs> understands why we're doing things, especially, you know, I, I, work, um, I work in infectious diseases, I work with animals, I'm, you know, my grants are funded by the taxpayer or by donations, so everyone has a right to know what I'm doing with their money and what I'm doing. So for me, the communication has always been really important. And it started with blogging, it's moved to working with um, uh, animators, you know, just to, to tell stories about science and to try and demystify the process. Mm -hmm. Like, I really want people to understand what, what does research look like? How, how does a scientist decide, this is the thing I want to study and this is how I'm going to answer those questions? So I just want to sort of, I've always wanted to, mm -hmm. to help with that. Um, and that is, those are skills we do not have as scientists, right? <laughs> you know, the reason I started blogging was because I realized that when we write an academic paper, um, I mean, we, so we use the passive voice. So if you can put by zombies on the end of a sentence, that's passive voice. Uh, and it just means that, oh, oh it's turgid stuff. Anyway, uh, and, you know, with all of this jargon and things. And so one of the reasons I started blogging was just to learn how to not write like that anymore. Mm. Um, and so for me... The, the media are just another part of that. They're, they're a, again, a conduit to the public 
who, when there's a big science story, need to help mm. un understand. And so in New Zealand, I've played this role many times. When we had the Fonterra botulism scare, I was one of the very few microbiologists who hadn't signed a confidentiality agreement, either with the government or with, the, <laughs> with Fonterra, into the investigation, the right? right? So my job was just to go, okay, well, this is this organism, this is what we know about the toxin. These mm. are the questions I would have to understand what is the risk to babies, you know, what's this going to mm. mean? That's um, an interesting precursor because that is another example, albeit on a smaller scale, of a situation where there would have been considerable public anxiety. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, yeah. and I remember, you know, I mean, the, the, so a little bit of history. Um, so what had happened was a, um, some milk powder had become contaminated with a bacterium that it was thought was the bacteria that can, can, under some circumstances, produce a toxin that is lethal. It's the toxin that we inject into our foreheads uh, as Botox. So this is a toxin that people know about and yeah. use cosmetically. Um, but if it ends up in the guts of a baby, this, that bacterium, it can then produce this toxin and be... And it's one of the most deadly toxins we know. Um, so... The questions were, well, is it that bacterium? Is it one that produces this toxin? You know, what, what's going on? And I remember seeing, um, and, you know, in some of the ways the experiments or the, the data they had on the toxin, it was all like, well, that's not really great science. Mm. Um, you know, I wouldn't have done the experiments that way myself. Um, uh, but also, I remember seeing somebody very high up on Fonterra give an interview, and what he said was that basically the milk powder had the toxin in it. And I would kept saying, you know, this toxin is like, it's really bad. It's the bacterium that's there. We don't know whether the toxin's there. Uh, and this journalist called me up going, did you just hear? And I said, I did, I did. He's completely and utterly wrong. If it was the toxin, there would be like, everyone would be screaming in panic because mm. there would be dead babies everywhere, right? The bacterium has the potential. It's not the toxin. And so he, he went, instead of writing the headline, which would have been basically, we're all screwed, mm. like Fonterra is screwed if that story is true, if that detail is true. He went back and basically said, can you check that? Can you check that? Can you check that? Mm. And ended up writing quite a different headline, which I'm told then saved New Zealand millions of dollars because... In panic and... Well, their, 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 um, their, their share price would have... Would have gone through tanked. the floor. Our, our currency would have probably done something bad. So it was the understanding and then trying to get the public to mm. understand what were the questions we actually needed to ask? What was the risk? Mm. What were the things that we needed to, mm. to find out? It turned out to be a false alarm anyway. Yeah. So, but, but COVID wasn't your first rodeo, basically. That's, that's true. Yeah. I mean, I, so I've played this role so with, in New Zealand specifically with that, but with, you know, explaining Zika virus, explaining Ebola. Mm. It's just these are things that I am interested in. I have that kind of scientific knowledge. And so when it's become like, okay, let me help you understand mm. this. But this was quite different. <laughs> Enter Toby. Is it true? You asked. You asked for a collaborator. You yeah. had been working with a spin-off. You'd been yeah. a contributor. So I was, I was writing. And one of the things that I was doing was following how, um, you know, what was happening overseas, what was likely to happen to us. Uh, and, and then seeing how the conversation was going. And I saw this really... Um, this really interesting tweet that had a graph called flatten, and it was about this concept called flatten the curve. And um, we have some slides. Yeah, yeah. let's, let's yeah. show the, let's show up. the, yeah. So we should have put the original one in. It's <laughs> mm. God awful. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I saw this slide and it was like, okay, this concept is really important mm. for people to understand, but the visual that's being used doesn't, 
does not show how our actions can mm -hmm. flatten the curve. So I contacted Toby Manhire, who's um, my editor, to say, I'd, I'd love a visual with the next piece I'm writing. Do you think Toby Morris would be interested? And the reason I picked, or I said Toby, was A, he was involved in the spin-off, <laughs> so I thought there was a chance. But B, I have long admired his work, mm -hmm. and what I love about Toby's style is he puts you in it. So with this thing where it felt like he was a concept people needed to understand how our actions can help, having somebody who puts you in, you know, who you, you look at his stuff and you feel like you're there, that seemed the perfect person for it. Mm. What and was it like to get the call? Yeah, well, I had obviously been reading Susie's <laughs> stuff leading up to it, so I was sort of mm. well aware of that, of, of Susie's work. Um, and, yeah, one of, those, one of those, I got an email, I think, from Toby saying, would you be up for, for, for helping Susie out with her next piece? And it's on those ones you don't think twice about and say, mm. absolutely. And I think probably ten minutes later we were on a Zoom call together or yeah. on the phone mm. together. Um, yeah. So that's the 9th of March, Flatten the Curve. Comes out super simple. Couldn't be simpler, there's a curve. Flattens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Pretty straightforward, really. Yeah. And that's good design, isn't it? If I can say it in four sentences yeah. and sum yeah. it up. Tell me about the process of actually boiling it down to something as simple as that. I think, I mean, the, the idea of the, the, the graph, like Susie says, was already there. Um, but it was, it was pretty plain and didn't have uh, the, the, the part that I wanted to add underneath there to explain. I think... With all of my work, generally, what I'm trying to do is explain explain things, but also explain why they matter as well, and mm. um, and, and why I should care as a as a reader. Like mm. you're saying, I think you have to put people put people in it enough that they can that mm. they can understand what it why you're telling me this, um, which is why we added these sort of characters at the bottom. Um, the original version also, I mean, there's little little things that where the original version also had the. Um, one of the curves was blue and the other one was red, which to me suddenly is, is really loaded, especially in an election year. It's like, this is yeah. the national vote, this is the Labour vote. So there's a few little sort of local tweaks. Keep it impartial. Yeah, yeah, so that's why it's, that's why it's orange, and, orange and teal there. And even little things like putting the, I mean, it has that line saying the healthcare um, capacity, um, but even mm -hmm. having that little icon of a, of a hospital. You've got a hospital there, I yeah. think, to me, I'm really thinking about it being understood as quickly as possible. And if that little drawing mm. of the hospital saves someone one second in thinking, thinking mm. it through, that's, that's helpful, mm. I think. I think everything that you can do to kind of streamline people quickly getting to, oh, I get it, is mm. um, you got to use every little trick you've got. Ironically, though, I mean, it, it went quite mad. Um, it's the, the one thing I regret doing because it was completely the wrong message for the world to get. <laughs> what do you mean? And very quickly I said to Toby, yeah. oh, no, we've made a big mistake. Yeah. And that led Can to you our unpack next one. that? Why yeah. was it the wrong so message? So the, the whole point of flatten the curve is that um, you, you, you basically slow down the outbreak so that it doesn't overwhelm your health system. Mm. But the whole point about slowing something down is you still allow it to happen. So... People are still going to get sick, but they're going to get sick at a rate that doesn't overwhelm your hospitals. And I guess at that time, I mean, there was at the time there was still not a lot known, so it wasn't really mm. known how infectious it was. It wasn't really known 
you know, I mean, it was known that there were definitely people in hospital and there were definitely hospitals that were, were overwhelmed. You know, mm. we saw Italy and, 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 and I mean, China itself bought, built mm. whole new hospitals in days. Um, so it was just a like, oh, no, shit, people still have to get sick. And there's so much we don't know about that virus. Like, you don't want people to get sick. So um, that was basically when the message turned to stop the spread, which right. is essentially elimination. So saying, mm. actually, you don't want it at all. You can stop it. Um, yeah. And what's really important is that you don't release the measures too soon. Otherwise, the virus will just continue to spread again. So it was based on a publication in The Lancet that explained this concept. Um, and it was, it was directed at those countries who were, at that stage, putting lockdowns in. And what it was trying to say, I mean, they actually explicitly say it in the, in the journal article, do not release your measures too soon for economic reasons because the virus will come back. Now, this is interesting. If you've watched a, a short documentary, Susie and the Virus, about Susie, that follows... Well, it must have been around this yeah, time. It was, it was time, before. Yeah. It's around this time. These you, you've started collaborating together. You're speaking. You're writing. You know, features an interview where you go into um, you go into Duncan Garner and um, you're having an interview with him, which you know you deal with him with a lot of forbearance. <laughs> but you can you can see your frustration yeah. afterwards. You know, this is a, this is personal for you. Yeah. This, I mean, it, well, and again, this is why Toby and I work so well together because I get, it really upsets me the fact that people don't care that it's not. This is not even just about deaths. This is about and and overwhelming hospital systems. This is about you know the the impact this has on people who have it on 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 everything. And so with that, you know, w was less than a week later we were pivoting to mm. we've got to show it's not just about individuals. It's about collective responses and how um, we have to you have to stop it. Because and if every and unfortunately this this one just did not do the same thing. It does you know flatten curve was the concept mm. everyone got, and and it's heartbreaking because but had the world really listened to elimination and not the governments. This was about you know this is about reaching people. Mm. There might have been more mm. of a oh, we get it's why possible we don't. To, to actually yeah. But this is really interesting to unpick because this is where it becomes, and I think you say this in the documentary, Susie, this is not necessarily about science. This becomes about values. This becomes yeah. about what's important mm. to us. And we saw governments all over the world grapple with, you know, economics versus mm versus health. And, and we also saw governments that tried to say a good health response is a great economic response as well. But there is no getting away from the fact that the actions had significant economic consequences, right? Yeah, yeah. What was really interesting also in, I guess, in early March was, um, or no, I guess so this must have been by late March when we, so we were already locked down. So Stop the Spread came out on the 14th yeah. of March. Yeah. The next one was 20. This was the next one was before um, we went into lockdown. Yeah, yeah symptoms this was spread still, was the so 18th. I remember because yeah. the kids were still at school then. That yeah. was, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I remember getting, having these interviews with the UK uh, journal, uh, well, TV on TV in the UK, and them saying, what did New Zealand know that, you know, like what was the evidence you had that we didn't have because you mm. did something different? And I just had to say, we all had the same thing. We all watched what happened in China and what was happening in mm -hmm. Italy. And we acted differently based on our values. Mm -hmm. And that kind of, everyone was just like... Poof. 
It was a strange, well, or was it a strange moment? I should ask it as a question. Was it strange to see the Prime Minister holding up? What was it? She had flatten the she curve, yeah. I think. Flatten the curve, yeah. Right. But because, and again, you know, that, so I, oh, I got this message going, oh, you must watch the one o'clock briefing. <laughs> and I watched the one o'clock briefing and my heart sank. I was like, oh, no, she's showing the wrong graph. Because <laughs> we'd already released the other one by then. It was like, oh, no, it's the wrong one. Mm. What was it like for you, Toby? Because, you know, mm. I, I feel like what you do is journalism. Yeah, and as a journalist, you never necessarily yeah. want to be endorsed by either side, really, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I've tried to try to remain an impartial yeah. observer for sure. And yet, <laughs> what what you were saying, the, the the communications you were giving out, yeah, proved to be extremely useful for governments. Were indeed yeah. repurposed by governments <laughs> all over yeah. the world. Yeah, the, this one that we did. Oh, Flick to it. Um, this one here we put out. Yeah. I can't remember the dates all, all blurred together in my mind, <laughs> but this was adapted it, yeah. by the Australian government, Argentina, Germany, Scotland, Scotland all mm. over the place, kind of picked this up and adapted it into their own national mm. sort of um, the visual language of their own mm. national, uh, you know, sort of communications campaign, um, which is a, quite a surreal thing as a as a. Yeah. As an illustrator, as an artist, as a journalist, to see something that you've made get sort of picked up and, and used, but you've taken a long time to to you're sort of an iceberg, really. I always think of you as right. a as a professional, you know, because okay. there's so much okay. happening beneath the surface. <laughs> sure. Yep. You it's know, a lot below the surface. Or... Yeah, it's yep. it's all happening yep. away. I've seen you and yeah. watched your career develop as a graphic artist. Right. You know, in a country where there aren't necessarily... it's changing now, I think, but yeah. there aren't necessarily many full time jobs. Yep. In your industry, there yeah. aren't necessarily... It wasn't for a long time really considered to be a viable career, no, I, I think. Yeah. Is no, that for myself? I, I thought I assumed that I would never earn a living making comics in New Zealand. Yeah. Um, I feel really lucky that I, that I get mm. to now. Um, and the comics that I make are funded by New Zealand on air. Mm. I feel blessed that I live in a country that we can that we can mm. um, that will support people doing something that's mm. a little bit different and a little bit outside of the outside of the ordinary. And I think the point I was sort of building up to is it's taken you a long time to hone your skills to this point, and this yeah. work feels like a distillation of that. Mm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I would. I mean, the, the sort of underlying theme in a lot of the, the longer bits of sort of comics journalism that I've done is a sort of um, everybody's connected, everybody's mm -hmm. actions influence each other. We're not sort of individuals in our own, in our mm -hmm. own little thing. Like everything that we do is, influences what other people do. All of these ideas, I'm really interested in inequality and, and climate change and all these things where the sort of idea of collective responsibility or collective action... Um, that's a hard one for a comic strip, isn't it? Climate change. <laughs> climate change is one that I've that I've that I've that I've struggled with. I think it's just such a big topic that it's yeah. hard to hard to boil down. Lots of my job mm. usually is is in boiling things down. And if mm. yeah, as, this one as an example is probably one where, um, yeah, it boils something very big and complicated to explain down into a into a really mm. simple point, which I think is why it worked. And the interesting thing about it is it's one of the few ones from you that I can think of, and there's more as time passes yeah. during COVID, but it doesn't have people in it. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it's kind of an abstract idea too. Like it's, yeah. a, it's a concept rather than a... We still get lots of 
tagged in, in social media posts of people sort of taking it very literally and misunderstanding. Oh, the R value is not, you know, how, how did you come to that conclusion? Or Everyone's a critic. Oh, the they virus did that. doesn't move from left to right. Yeah. You know, like it's they kinda... did that also with um, <laughs> flatten the curve. They were like, how did you get your areas? We're mm. like, oh, geez. No, yeah, it's, it's not a... based on actual mm. data. It's yeah. a concept. Mm. <laughs> it's an idea. It's an idea that you're trying to get across. <laughs> It's such a good reminder, your story, that it's, it's pointless to try and predict the future. You know, if you had told me that in 2020, a nasty virus would be sweeping the globe and one of our best lines of defense and hopes for, or not even hopes, you know, mode of control would be gifts. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Yep. And yet, you know, in spite of technology and medical developments and everything else that we have in our arsenal, it's communication. Yeah, it's about right. communication. Because yeah. with an infectious disease, you know, what makes infectious diseases different from other diseases is they are communicable. They are infectious. And so our actions mm. will determine what happens next. You know, if you don't use a condom and you have a sexually mm. transmitted disease, you may pass that on to your partner, right? So your actions... They determine what happens mm. next. It's not the same. I was going to say it's not the same as cancer. Some cancers are infectious diseases. But, um, you know, it's, it's not the same as other things where it's maybe your actions will impact what happens to mm. you, but they might not necessarily impact what happens to the person sat next to you. And so it, so it is fundamentally about us acting together to do the right thing for all of us when you've got something that spreads. And so stopping the spread when you have something, even when you don't have mm. something, um, or rather even when you have a disease where you, which you have vaccines and you have drugs for, you know, requiring drugs, to use a drug means someone has got infected. So there's a whole thing that has to happen. They have to be diagnosed, mm. blah, blah, blah. Right? All of those things, if you just stop transmission, then you don't have those things. I mean, fundamentally, one of the, again, one of the things that I'm, well, I'm so glad to be working with Toby, is that as an infectious diseases person working in New Zealand, fundamentally, we need to fix our bad housing. We need to fix mm. our environment because they are the underlying things that are mm. enabling, mm. you know, we have rates of infectious mm. diseases other than COVID that are mm. higher than most countries mm. we would normally benchmark But we know this, against. don't we, in public health? We know yeah. that, you know, it's about the causes. It's yeah. about the causes and conditions that create yeah. health. So and not just yeah. about... As you say, yes. yeah. yeah, so it's about that sort of collective collective action that's really, really mm. important. To answer the question in, in a different way, I actually feel quite vindicated. Finally, <laughs> that, that, yes. that, like I've always felt that, that using illustration is a really good, clear way to, mm. to quickly communicate a message. Mm. Um, that it's been really encouraging and really sort of quite mm. satisfying to see, to have been put in a position where I can be yeah. useful and use, use my skills mm. to, to actually help has been... A really special thing yeah. to be able to and, get to do this year, yeah. and similar from my, my my thing. So yes, I've been training up to this moment for mm. ten years without really realizing it, but that has not been an easy path. Yes, and it's been you know I've had many colleagues, you know, who just are like, why are you wasting your time on this stuff? You should be writing papers. You should be focusing mm. on the science. And so I feel like. Well, who knew? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but also, you know, as a scientist, I'd always hoped that my research would be useful in some way, that I could use my skills mm. for good for our country. And because uh, I work in, um, in the area of antibiotic discovery, so another crisis that's looming, um, 
I'd always hoped that, you know, maybe we might help discover something that might lead to new medicines. But I also know that that's a very long path and we would just be a very small cog in that whole machine. And what I've found through this is my actual impact. Mm. That's the thing that has actually made a difference. The thing that people are messaging me every day saying, I changed my behaviour because of mm. you, mm. has been working with Toby mm. to communicate. And so, again, mm. that's a kind of like, yep, mm. great. <laughs> and it's interesting, isn't it? Because communication, I mean, you're talking and I am thinking about some of the criticism that has been levelled against our Prime Minister as a political operative. You know, this idea that having communication skills is in some way a soft skill, a skill that is not as impressive as right. other skills. Right. And even in some ways, it's sort of a dark art, of right. sorts. Mysterious you know, we are looking, you know, we're looking understood. in the UK at the moment at a government who, again, has a very simple message, you know, stay home, help the NHS save lives. It's not coming across, is it? It is not being communicated with anything like the same unity or clarity because... Well, it's also very... It's actually... You say it's a simple message, but all of the things underlying their message are not actually not actually supporting that message. Like, There's stay home and support the NHS, but you can go to university and you can do this and you can do that. It's yeah. like, well, that's not really staying home, is it? Mm. So, yeah. I think the um, cohesiveness of the, yeah. of the message mm. here was, is, is, can't be sort of underestimated, mm. the importance of that. Even as you said, we were talking about this in the green room, and even as you said, Susie, the fact that the briefings here in New Zealand, the one o'clock briefings happened at one o'clock. Mm. It was very important. I mean, I, I don't know how late they were running tonight in England. <laughs> yeah, but I think just watching three hours people late or something today. Tweeting and saying, oh, well, hopefully it won't go into Strictly Ballroom. You know, hopefully <laughs> they won't run it that late. You know? And it's funny, but it's also not funny. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is a crisis. Yeah. This yeah. is a pandemic. I very much felt like... Um, so, I guess, to clarify, Toby and I have not been part of the official response. Um, you know, I, both of us... You know, I've been an independent person with the knowledge... Mm. And yes, I have fed through official or unofficial channels to make sure that the government have, you know... But you didn't give I the Prime Minister the printout. <laughs> I, I, yeah. You wouldn't have, because you didn't think it was the right ground. No, right? exactly. And when I did see her, I was like, this is the one you need to be thinking of. Um, but, you know, it's, it's been just, a, you know, this whole following what, where we need to go and stuff, but staying mm. independent um, and making sure that the public knew essentially what, what the government were, were, knew, right? Mm. It was uh, everything I was telling the public was stuff that I would tell the Prime Minister, mm. which she asked, right? Mm. Or, the, or the leader of the opposition. But anyone. that got personal too at times with you, didn't it? I mean, I see, I've seen headlines with Susie Wiles is telling us we can't go down to the end of our driveways and have some wines with our neighbours or whatever it was. Yes. You know, how did you feel about that sort of personal characterization of you as somewhat of a scold? Yeah, I didn't feel that that was what I was doing if you actually listened to me. Like, if we, what I was really trying to do with every communication was to be transparent about why I was saying that. So what was it based on? Mm. And to try and do it from a kind of values-led, this is why it's important, because we have to work together. So mm. when I was asking people not to go down the bottom of the garden and have wines was because... We know that face-to-face -face contact, even if you think you're two metres away, and honestly, people do not know what two metres is. That's, that's, my, that's one of my main <laughs> conclusions. Big 
from this is you do not know what two meters is. Um, and so what I was really worried was that you would, in, you would increase that risk and, you were, and people were more frightened of going to the supermarket mm. where actually you were probably doing more risky behavior sitting less than two meters away from somebody mm. chatting or singing or something. So that was what I was trying to, you know, it was to, to say why we had these rules mm. and how bending them might actually, you know, would not be in your best interest. Mm. And so it was a bit, yeah, to be, you know, I, I always tried not to scold. Mm. Although I did, I did actually put, I did, I did end up ringing somebody's mum once. <laughs> <laughs> because they were like, I did put a kind of like, you know, mm. I will ring your mum if there's, or I will ring your parents if you're worried. Because mm. so many people were sending messages going, oh my God, my parents won't listen. What do I say to my, yeah, yeah, I got a bit of that. This one, that's why I brought this one up, because that was one that I got lots of emails saying like, my mother-in-law didn't understand until I, She's, so, she yeah. saw this and, and then she got it or something, which was to show really how bad. interconnected we are. If mm. you think you're going and visiting one bubble, but they're visiting someone else, suddenly you're all linked together. Mm. Yeah. It was a question I wanted to ask you. Do you have people in mind when you're besides you yeah. know, this mother-in-law well, commission? Lots of the time, but... lots of the time, it's me. Like a, as a, um, <laughs> you know, Susie is trying to figure out how to communicate to members of the public that don't know anything about science, mm. and that's me. That's me. Like <laughs> we would talk about it over the phone, the the, the brief, and I would feel like. As soon as I understood what, what it was that Susie was trying to explain, then I felt like then I can try to translate that into visuals. Mm. Um, but I think that was probably a somewhat useful process, having mm. somebody that was coming at it completely fresh to be like... I mean, most of the time, Susie's very good at explaining it, so most of the time it did make sense straight away, but there'd be the occasional mm. you know, question that I'd have or something of like, this is, this is how well, someone coming at it fresh is There's some of them, say, like the vaccine... The vaccine ones, they're, they're complicated. Yeah. There's a lot in there. They're very dense, I think, yeah. in terms of the information. And of course, during at least some of this, you're working in lockdown. So you're both on the phone or on Skype yeah. calls or how did you communicate? Every piece was slightly different. I mean, there were things where I would write something and just send it to Toby and then he would go, he, you know, or I'd say, this is the, this is the concept I'm going to do. Here's, mm -hmm. here's, some, here's some words, but like short, <laughs> short bullet points. Yeah. And then he would start visualizing things while I wrote. So mm. everything was slightly different and we'd kind of do back and forth. And sometimes yeah. we'd phone, sometimes we'd Zoom. It just kind of... Yeah, it was quite an organic kind of... Whatever any particular thing mm. needed. Especially in those first couple of weeks we were working so kind of quickly mm. that sometimes it would just be, yeah, I think the next topic has to be this and here's some bullet points. Yeah, and sometimes just I'd go. just get a call <laughs> and from Susie it. and Susie's like, <laughs> and this, the did, next thing's this. Yep. You did some really simple visual things that were extremely impactful as well. I mean, colouring the virus purple yeah. or fuchsia, yep. was, that was hilarious because <laughs> various people suddenly said, Susie, like, the virus is pink. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't, I, I honestly hadn't made that connection. And in my defence, my, my, all of my communications was had mostly been on email or the phone, so we hadn't hung out that often. Obviously, I knew you had, had that colour here, but um, to me, I wanted to do, like I said before about everything, like colours being really loaded in terms of what mm. they're communicating, um, I wanted something that was a sort of like an alert. Mm. I think the first time I did it was on that one with the, the sort of the tree diagram, and I wanted something that was really kind of like felt like poison or danger or, or you know, like a... Um, not to say your hair looks like poison or danger. Oh, man, I'm getting... Well, to this. some people, it does. <laughs> I'm so something kind of bright the, and, the and criticism of your hair, what is that? I mean, there's that... What, what was that letter writer saying? You look stunning with brown, brown hair or yeah. black hair. <laughs> what? I don't know. Yeah, I get it quite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> 
it really upsets people. It's yeah. kind of interesting. <laughs> and it also, and yeah, I mean, it's just, I guess lots of people just don't, can't take me seriously mm. as a scientist because I'm supposed to be serious and Pink mm. is not serious. So I, I mean, I've, I've, I, it had nothing to, it was just, actually, originally I wanted it to be blue. And when I went to the hairdresser, this was in my early 20s, which was over 20 years ago, um, the, the hairdresser was like, no, nah, not with your complexion. I'll do it pink. Uh, or she, actually, she tried to do it red, um, and this is, this is apparently mm -hmm. pillar box red, which mm -hmm. is supposedly the colour of post boxes in the UK. It's clearly not that. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and then it, so it's been like this for over 20 years. Mm -hmm. It's just sort of stuck. And, and originally, it was just because I wanted coloured hair. That was just my thing. Uh, then it became... When I started getting messages from people saying, oh, my kid, like, suddenly real, and I thinks that, like, scientists could be anybody now. And then it became, I have twice nearly lost, um, that I know of, uh, academic positions based on the colour of my hair. And so mm. it's become a, well, screw you, I'm just going to have to keep this to show mm. that you can be a, you know, serious scientist. Um, Authoritative and have pink hair. I mean, it's so, so it's just to play with people's uh, perceptions of what leadership looks like, what seriousness looks mm. like, what expertise mm. looks like. There was a group of you. I mean, you know, there's you thinking about Ashley Bloomfield. You know, people who we came to um, becoming very familiar with, hear from a lot. Sean Hindy was another person. <laughs> Did you guys ever coordinate? <laughs> You know, um, were you talking? Were you were you sharing information? Sean and I were talking yeah. a lot. I mean, it's sort of partly the reason Sean and Tapuna Matatini got involved is because I'm in that research centre with them, and so they saw me step up very early on, and then mm. they were like, "Oh, geez, okay, this is obviously getting quite serious," because I was also obviously having conversations with them. So that's sort of why they ended up um, yeah. leaping up. Um, yeah, uh, I mean, I only recently met Ashley. Mm. Um, and it was only fairly late on the piece that I was, that I, uh, through our chief science advisor to the Prime Minister, got put in touch with um, both her and the chief science advisor to the Ministry of Health. And so all that has just been a, a kind of a heads up. It's like, okay, this is what I'm thinking at the moment. This is what I'm going to start saying, just so you know, no surprises. Mm. <laughs> and what about um, conflicts? Because obviously, you know, not everybody agrees about this, Indeed. about responses to yeah. this, and especially when responses have such far-reaching consequences mm. for everybody. You know, there were a lot of people who did not want to be yeah. in lockdown. Yeah. Um, I totally understand. None of us wanted to be there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that has been really hard because there's been one particular group... Um, who are very anti our response and still anti our response, which I don't quite understand because our response has now been vindicated. Um, and that's really hard because that ended up being um, being kind of pit. In fact, they even the media pitted myself and their leader mm. against each other. I've had so many calls saying, mm. uh, Can you come and talk about so and so? And I'd be like, Who else have you got on? And they'd be like, oh, just do it. Should I mention mm. his name? Um, maybe not mention his name. Uh, just so and so. And I'd be like, Nah. <laughs> no thanks <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not interested in debate because it's difficult isn't it if you're not an expert and there are two people who are mm. who are similarly credentialed perhaps I'm yeah. saying similarly not exactly, exactly the yeah. same yeah so we have different areas of expertise it's been kind of it's been almost amusing so I'm actually more senior than, than the main person that I am pitted against um, and uh, that's been really interesting to see how he is held up as the expert and I am not mm. 
So there's, I don't know whether that's gender or pink hair or whatever, but it's, it's very interesting. But we have very different areas of expertise. And so what I have been trying to say is, you know, here is the evidence that I'm using and here are my values so you understand the lens through which I evaluate evidence. I would ask you do the same for others. Mm. And one of the things that's been hardest has been um, that it has been this almost like a, uh, you know, there's equal numbers of experts on each side. And actually, it's a bit like climate change and a bit like, you know, the tobacco and smoking is where there are large numbers of experts on one side and a very small number on the other. Mm. And they're given sort of equal weighting. Um, but it's very hard when, mm. the, when the person is your colleague and, and also very hard when they actually say stuff that you know is not true. Um, but what can, you know, how mm. can you deal with that? And, and that is something that, like there's a bigger context here, isn't there? You have produced... Um, graphics about misinformation <laughs> and, <Yep>. uh, <laughs> and you know we we live in a society where everyone doesn't read the spin-off sorry yeah. if, you know, <laughs> sure. I mean maybe they should but they don't yeah. and <laughs> a lot of people aren't getting their information mm. from weren't getting their information from one o'clock briefings you know not everybody has the same access to information our government is not as successful in reaching certain sectors of mm. societies yeah. others and that's that's a whole other issue. But yep. as communicators, that's something you guys are obviously aware of. Well, and I think it's been especially hard when I see the things that are being shared, including by people on the, you know, so-called experts on the other side. I mean, people, academic expertise with PhDs and stuff. And they're sharing stuff that's actually like it's false. Mm. Um, and it's made, you know, there are videos. People are making videos. They look really professional. They've got, you know, People with PhDs from Oxford University mm. are fronting them, and it's and the information is not true, and and I know that because I'm reading all the papers and I'm looking at stuff and I'm going, well, that's like that's actually not true. Here's the evidence for that, but how how can the public do it? And so the number mm. of things I get sent saying, can you can you help me with this? And I'm like, I I can't, I cannot actually do this every day. You know, I cannot because they are producing stuff at such a rate. I can't debunk every one of them. It's like mm. you just have to put a red flag against that person. Mm. Everything they say is basically mm. false. And, I, and it, as, a, as, a, as an academic, it's really, um, I don't understand it because that's not my values base. You know, one of the criticisms I've had is people will dig up the interview from mid-January where I said, oh, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look so bad. Not doesn't look like, you know. <laughs> It yeah. doesn't, I'm not sure it would play it's out. It's not the end of the world. It's not the end of the world. <laughs> um, that was my point yesterday. Yeah. yesterday. Um, and they go, see, you don't know what you're talking about. And I, so I try and patiently explain that my job as a scientist is to be constantly evaluating the evidence. And as the evidence changes, you change your opinion. And you did that. I mean, there was five days between yeah. the, the first and the second. Yeah, yeah to go, yeah. oh, my God, now we know so much more. They are, I'm totally... It was yeah. the same there's with the masks. Examples. You know, the masks, there's loads of examples. How did you keep up with this? You were just sort of... <laughs> oh, you know, I mean, I'm a your... big news reader. I was like yeah. any member of the public. I was sort of voraciously consuming everything that was coming in and, and trying to keep up with everything and being in touch with Susie yeah. as, as we went as well. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just been a, a ride for mm. everybody, I think. And you there's mean, so many new terms. Like, it felt mm. like, especially yes. in those first couple of weeks. And we're every... also familiar now. We're familiar with contact yeah. tracing, you know, these sure. new, um, but the idea of the bubbles, bubble, all, all of these of, new yeah, ideas. New terms. There was something I wanted to ask you, Toby. I mean, we've yeah. been talking about platforms. We've been talking about the sort of the, the media environment we yeah. find ourselves in. 
you know, th these are digital creations. This is yeah. the, the message in some way is indivisible from from the medium. Yeah. And they, they were designed with that in mind. I mean, every, every one of these pieces, we should point out, also came with a longer article from Susie. Mm. You know, they'd run on the spin-off as an article, and this is an illustration to go with the article. But kind of with the expectation that the bit that people... The sort of easily shareable bit, the bit that people will retweet or post yeah, on Instagram yeah. or, or, or share on Facebook is the... Is, is just and it feels like it was sort of a distillation. It was very instinctive of you. You understood that right at the start yeah. that you needed that because you'd been doing your blogging thing or whatever the your critics called it. <laughs> you know, you you understood that this was the part that was going to be shared, and you wanted it shared from the beginning. Now I'm interested in this because yeah. what you know. So Susie comes to you and says, "I want all of this stuff to be." Yeah. freely available i want it. well we didn't we obviously did not realize it was going to turn into what it did turn into but mm. and the, yeah that very first piece i when it was quite far down the line i was like oh uh so by the way, <laughs> by the way is there any chance we could re release this under a creative commons yeah. license just to explain for everybody that little in the corner of all of them there there's that cc dysa 4a is a kind of a code for for a creative commons agreement that essentially means that the work is able to be republished and reshared, and um, with the sort of proviso that the um, that the credits remain on it, and it's basically as simple as that. Like if another news organisation wants to use it, if someone wants to put mm. it in the book, if someone wants to put it on a poster, then go for gold. Which... Pretty bold move for a freelancer, Toby. Yeah, I mean, exactly, I know you yeah. have a full-time job now, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. talk me through the. the oh, process. I mean, that's a, that's a, that's really kind of as a creative person and someone that's made books and, you know, done things in the media that's a, um, normally people are really protective. really protective of your own sort of intellectual property and your own work. Mm. And it's, uh, I've had other things that I've done in the past that have gotten, there's a comic I did in 2015, I think, called On a Plate that was sort mm. of also went viral and widely shared and kind of ripped off and various bootleg translations and people changing out all the words to make it mean a totally different thing. And so I've kind of been through that experience of seeing mm. something that you created uh, take yeah. on a life of its own and, and, and be moving through the world in ways that you have no... You see it pop up in somebody's feed and think, oh, mm. that's a new version that I haven't yeah. seen before. And that's kind of not necessarily... You know, that's usually for most creative people, you know, 99% of the time cast as being a really bad thing. So this was a real m mental shift for me to be able to, to put it out and say, this do is... Like. Go for gold, mm. but this is everybody's now... Um, but it's been, a, I mean, I've learned lots out of doing it. I can see the, see the rationale, especially in a time where, I mean, the most important thing is that the message is out there more than mm. Toby Morris's work is respected. You know, like it's, there's, a bigger, <laughs> yeah. there's a bigger issue I have to see that, it, that it, if it can mm, help, if it can yeah. help somebody. And that's the same with the governments. And lots of the, those saying those government adaptions um, that, that took it and run with it. Most of them, a couple of them did credit us, most of them didn't. <laughs> but even then, there's a, you have a small moment of pickiness that you're kind of like, hey, that's my thing yeah. that I've seen. But it's still okay if off, Barack but... Obama's tweeting it, you know, yeah. in the Wall Street Journal article as yeah. happened, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, it went, they, they got used in all sorts of amazing places. And if it helps, that's, mm. that's, that's the bottom line, is if it mm. helps. And we have, we have, you know, there are people who are then going, hey, that's not fair. You have to credit so and so, and that's yeah. been quite sweet to watch. Or it's been like, stand down. It's all right. Yeah. Pandemic. Yeah. We're, we're good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're nearly out of time, and I want to leave time for questions. But very yeah. quickly, we haven't even touched on your work for the WHO. 
Yeah, that's right. I mean, this is part of the <laughs> thing right. that's, that's interesting about all of this for me is that I'm still kind of in the, in the middle of it. Um, mm. Probably about, I can't even think how long ago, maybe, I think maybe four or five months ago, the World Health Organization got in touch with the spin-off and asked if they could sort of contract us to do a similar, similar kind of work for them. Um, oh, it's great. I mean, it was basically... People keep sending us your things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, will, will you do something? Yeah, we've seen yeah. we've seen yeah. these, and it seems like they've they've been successful. Yeah. Initially, I think Duncan Grieve, our, our boss, thought it was a <laughs> piece of spam. I think <laughs> he didn't take it received seriously. it with considerable scepticism. Yeah, I think he was kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, whatever, trying to sell us something. Um, <laughs> um, kind of scam. But then they googled the the, um, the name of the person who had gotten in touch, really and it was, was. A, you know. Communications mm. officer, World Health Organization on LinkedIn or something. And thought, oh, we better actually respond. But yeah, we've been doing stuff for them. Um, it's not just me, I should say. It's a, a sort of team of people at the spin-off that mm. we've built to, to work on that stuff. And, and is that sort of you know does that work come from directives that they ask you to work on, or is it a... for the most part? Yeah, for the most part, the, some of the briefs have been coming from them. That's like we've got this specific thing that we need explaining. We did one about their when they finally issued their sort of mask guidance, um, can we do a sort of a visual explainer of that, um, for example? And that one now is like been viewed 40 million times on Facebook or something crazy like that. Um, some of them also are ones us, us going back to them, like Susie was saying, mm. she's uh, sort of coming up with, coming. some of the things we've done. This one, for example, is a, is a good example. We had done this for the spinoff and... World Health Organization were like, can we have a can we have a version of that, please, mm. as well? Um, just underlining that it's not just here, right? This is global, and in yeah. some ways, you know. Oh, and there's this very strange disconnect here, being working on that stuff still, and we're still right in the thick of that, where things are somewhat going back to normal. Yes. You know, not totally normal, but the um, the urgency of the situation is somewhat gone. Mm. Whereas for them, communicating with them back and forth, and they're very much yes. in the like it's getting worse in the thick of it, in the yeah. very urgent yeah. stage still, yeah. Mm. To even think that we're able to gather here together yeah. and have have exactly, this yeah. conversation. Um, if you'd like to put your hand up, if you do have questions, I'll, um, I'll leave some time. We've got roving microphones. I think we've got a question up there. Yeah, give us the... Uh, yeah, leave the cheese up. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's the most recent one. Yeah. Thank you. I've really enjoyed your presentation. It's fascinating to hear all this stuff. I'd just like to ask, Toby, you mentioned before that people take your stuff and alter it out there in yeah. the world. Yeah. Has it happened very much with COVID? And is there anything you can do about it if people mess around with it and, uh, you know, destroy your message? I kind of... Uh, I mean, everybody will have a different approach to it, but personally, I've been so... It's basically been so busy that I just don't have time to fight every battle mm -hmm. online. And same with people. There's always people sort of... Uh, trolling comments or trying to sort of pick a fight online and my own personal strategy is to just leave that I will um, I don't feel like I have personally I don't feel like I have to prove every person win every every argument against every single person on the internet because um, I'll never that's a sort of a bottomless pit that mm. that for me just consumes too much of my time and energy to get into if people are um, sort of being nasty or being deliberately misusing things um, so for me I just have have just sort of turned my back to it and not, it hasn't always been worth the worth the mental energy to, to, to fight those, to be totally honest. Down the track, maybe when things go back to normal, there might mm. be times that I will. I'm only aware of one of ours that has been misrepresented. So uh, back 
um, we did one on the uh, how to tell the difference between flu, a cold, and COVID-19. So these were kind of like the major symptoms that we knew at the time. And there was a guy, um, he's based in New Zealand, and he absolutely has it in his head that the vast majority of people won't have any symptoms. And so he took that symptom chart and he added another line, which basically had most people with COVID-19 and then they have no symptoms. And um, that was, I, I got really angry at that yeah. because it was like, actually, that's, we don't know that yet and you are absolutely misrepresenting that. Yeah. Um, and so I just sent a very upset message to Toby Manhire who said, I'll deal with this. And then it disappeared. So, yeah. Toby's here. I don't know what he did. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No, I, think just had a, I think he just <laughs> had a quiet word. Um, yeah. But, yeah, the guy deleted it and he didn't yeah. hear from it. It hasn't him. happened as often as I would have thought yeah. that people would have um, sort of mm. tweaked, them, tweaked mm. them too much. Do we have another question? Oh. Riff around and try and do all of them. Hello. Um, when I was an undergraduate student, there was an optional module for science communication. Do you think, following on from this, that universities might build communicating with a wider public as a mandatory part of science undergraduate degrees rather than just how to write a paper or an essay? Great question. That's a great question. Um, the, my worry is that because the way uh, within university um, people like me are rewarded and promoted... Um, these are all things that count against that. So I think if you're going to put in uh, things to encourage people to do it more, you need to make sure that it's valued. Um, mm. Because what I do not want is a whole generation of scientists who value this and who do this, and then they basically are disadvantaged and they won't get promoted or they won't get jobs because somebody else who doesn't do it sticks to the same things that will get them more papers, more grants and stuff. The people who have real power here are the funders. So I think every, I mean, I, this is something that's done in the UK with the Wellcome Trust. They, every grant that they give has a budget and an expectation that, you know, that that, it, that work will be communicated to, the, to a diverse range of audiences. So there should be money mm. for, you know, all of the people who require paying. And, and that's a funder's decision. Here, we don't even have the money on our grants to even pay to have our to make our work accessible to, to people at universities who don't have subscriptions to those journals. So it's something that isn't valued here at all. One more question. There's Media, one up at the yeah, top. There's one up at the top who's been waiting. Very, I can't. Yeah. can't Might have to turn it up a bit. Yeah. Wow. That's a that's Ooh. a very good question, and that's yes. one. To be totally honest, climate change is one of the topics that I that I've somewhat struggled with. Um, trying to explain in a in a simplified way. I mean, lots of what I do is about boiling things down to the to the to the core of what's the really important thing that people need to take away. And there's just so much, so much information and so much to say about climate change mm -hmm. that I that I I've ha I've had a few goes at it in comics, um, but I certainly lots more work to do there for sure. It's a similar thing. It's the same theme of collective responsibility. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, yeah. And getting the, across the sort of the scale of the. The danger, I think. Yeah. 
This is the last question because we need to finish. Perhaps it's, perhaps it's a comment as much as a question. We love Can those. You hold the mic closer. Yeah, is that better? Yeah. Um, while I really appreciate that in extreme circumstances, it is understandable that a government overrides democratic principles. That is really understandable. But I question if it isn't going too far in people's consciousness. Um, I think if you don't have an actual question, yeah. we okay. can leave that discussion yeah. I'll, I'll ask one. How can I actually be sure that you say that all these doctors in various countries, they're from Oxford and reputable people, they are saying something different, but how can I verify that you are right and they are wrong? Yeah, so that, that's, a, that's, the, that's the problem we have, is everybody's showing what their evidence is. And so um, I, w if I, I guess if you have signed the, or if you're talking about the Great Barrington Declaration, I would suggest you go and have a look at the Jon Snow mem Memorandum that puts all the evidence out there. One of the things that's very interesting about the Great Barrington Declaration is they, it's very lacking in actual evidence. So um, uh, I would suggest you go and have a look. It, people need to be able to provide their evidence. So do that. Yeah, so let's, we can leave this till the end. I'm happy to come out and you can talk to me about that if you want. But we don't need to start an argument mm. here at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Toby Morris and Dr. Susie Wilde. Ladies and gentlemen, the work is ongoing um, and they'll be at the signing table. They'll be outside the door. Would you join me in giving them one more round of applause? Thank you very much.